The Sermon on the Mount. Though it was delivered on the side of a hill one day in Israel, its power, truth, and simplicity have pierced through every century since. His divinely inspired words are not only timeless, they are timely for us. We hope you will join us as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, good morning, church. It's good to see you. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5. One of the things that we do here at Redeemer is want to study God's Word book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And one of the reasons that we do that is because we think it's important for our church family to receive the whole counsel of God. Believe that all of Scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for us to teach us, to grow us. And one of the other reasons that we study God's Word book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is because it forces us to deal with topics that we just may want to avoid. And today we find ourselves in one of those moments, uh, one of those topics. We are uh, been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, and we have come now to the topic of divorce. And Pastor Jason happens to be out of town this week, and so I have the privilege of uh, opening up God's Word with you. All week I have been sober to this passage and to the topic of, of divorce um, because I know that there are many within our church family who have experienced the pain of divorce, whether it was the divorce of your parents, it was the divorce of a, of a friend, of some loved one, or maybe the divorce that you experienced, or maybe a situation that you are in now. And I want to preach this text understanding that it's a delicate topic. You know, when we are confronted with hard truths, we can easily feel shame or guilt because of maybe our past. Maybe divorce is a part of your story. And you would be tempted to feel shame or guilt. And, and my hope and my prayer, what I want to do this morning is to run to the cross with you this morning. Um, but if, if, if divorce is a part of your story, to be reminded of passages like when Paul says in Romans that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we want to encourage you in the gospel today, cling to the cross, hide behind the cross, regardless of what is in your past or even what is in your present. And at the same time that I want to do that, I want to be delicate with the topic, I also want to be crystal clear on what Jesus has said about the topic of divorce and remarriage. God has an opinion, and we're going to see it in the scriptures. And so I want to do my best to point your eyes to your Bibles, to the text where you see it, and hopefully shed light on it because it's a foundational truth for us this morning. We're going to look at two 
main passages, Matthew chapter 5, which is the portion on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in Matthew 5 is speaking to disciples. But I want to focus the majority of our attention on Matthew 19. Jesus is talking to a different audience. He's talking to Pharisees. But in Matthew 19, Jesus will give us a more exhaustive vision for marriage and divorce and answer many questions that we have. So let's turn together to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 31 through 32. If you got it, say I'm there. There we go. Here we go. Matthew 5, verse 31, Jesus' words. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's fast forward to Matthew chapter 19. Please turn with me. Matthew 19, let's read verses 1 through 12. Beginning at verse 1. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery the disciples said to him if such is the case of a man with his wife it is better not to marry let's pray father i thank you for moments like these where we get together as a church to look at your word and i pray god that you would speak to us that you would open the eyes, the eyes of our heart to understand. Would you give me clarity of thought to communicate your truth? Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. His people said, amen. amen. This passage gives us five teachings of Jesus regarding marriage and divorce. And I want to walk through this text and point this out. The first teaching that we see in this passage 
is that Jesus rejects incorrect views of marriage. The Pharisees were always seeking for a way to trap Jesus. And we see in verse 3 of Matthew 19, and Pharisees came up to him and they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? What a bold question to ask. Where did this question come from? See, it's important that we understand the cultural context of what's happening in that day as Jesus is having this exchange with these Pharisees. Among the, the Jewish people, there was great debate about divorce. And the debate centered around the meaning of a word in a verse in the book of Deuteronomy. I have it here on the screen, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Listen to this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. I want to I draw your attention to that word indecency because that's where the debate started. If he found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Among the rabbis who were the religious teachers of the day, there were two interpretations of how to understand that word indecency. Now, this last row over here, can y'all raise your hand at me, this last row right here? Can I get a high? You are going to represent view number one that they had. This view was a minority view. They believed that divorce was only acceptable if there was sexual infidelity. So for them, indecency as described in Deuteronomy 24, equaled a marital affair. That would be grounds for divorce. This was the side that Jesus was on. So way to go, guys. You did it. You're all on the side. Sorry for all the rest of you. You're not on the side of Jesus on this one, okay? Let's deal with it. Now, for all you guys, this, all this group here and the bleachers, can you all raise your hand at me? You are not on the side of Jesus in this situation but you represent the other opinion, the second view, which was from Rabbi Hillel, who was the majority opinion, the dominant view of the time. They interpreted indecency to mean anything that the husband did not like about his wife. How convenient. The Mishnah was one of the major collections of writings of the Jewish law during the time of Jesus, this was the majority opinion of the rabbis who were teaching. And all week I've been reading through the Mishnah, which is, is not a biblical source, but it's, it's, it's talking about what the, the Jewish rabbis believed. Listen to what they understood about indecency and divorce. What gave a man a right to divorce his spouse? I quote, a man could divorce his wife if she were barren, if she became a deaf mute, 
if she had warts or leprosy, those would be all grounds for a husband to divorce his wife. The Mishnah insisted that a man could divorce his wife if she failed to perform certain services in the home. This is a quote. A man could divorce her if she had no eyebrows, only one eyebrow. I'm trying to look around. Y'all are all good, ladies. Or bushy eyebrows. That's what it says. This, is, this would be a reason for divorce at this time. If she had eyes too high or too low, if she were cross-eyed, had eyes of two different colors, sorry, or eyes big as a calf, that's in there, or small like a goose, any of these justified divorce. Man, there, there, was, there was pages and pages of rules that the rabbis had been teaching the people, these are all grounds for you to divorce your wife. If a wife went to her family's house without the permission of her husband, that was grounds for divorce. If she raised her voice at her husband, a husband could divorce her. If she had bad breath, you get the point. It was anything. Indecency the way they were interpreting it was defined by the husband. Can you imagine that that was the majority opinion of the religious rabbis that were teaching during the days of Jesus? That's where that question is coming from. Josephus, who was a non-Christian historian, even said this, divorce was permitted for any causes whatsoever Jesus quickly draws a line in the sand direct your attention at verse 9 of Matthew 19 and I say to you whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another <clears throat> commits adultery Jesus completely narrows the gate and the window for what divorce could look like. This was in totally an unpopular opinion. And you can imagine when they heard this, the majority of the people would have been shocked that Jesus would, 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 would limit it. See, divorce had become so flippant during that time. What marriage was supposed to be between a husband and wife. And what Jesus does is he rejects their incorrect views about marriage. And Jesus, Jesus does that with us today. Who has shaped your views of marriage and divorce? Who has established those categories? And so often the world wants to shape it. And Jesus, this morning, as we see what he was doing in the text with this group here, he's correcting them. The second teaching that we see Jesus give is that God created marriage. Let's read together verses four of chapter 19. They asked him the question, is it lawful to divorce one, one's wife or any cause? And he answered, verse four, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning 
made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus hears their question and immediately takes them to beginning. To the beginning. He takes them to the book of Genesis and reminds them that God is the creator of marriage. Marriage is something that was not created by man. It was God who officiates the first wedding in the Garden of Eden with Adam and with Eve. It is God who is orchestrating it. It is he that he's, he's reminding them. It is he's the one who has the right to define what marriage is. And he tells them, have you not read that it was he who created them from the beginning, both male and female? Marriage is fundamentally between a man and a woman. It was his creation. Before the fall occurred, God had already created the institution of marriage. Our culture wants to redefine marriage. Our culture wants to make its own rules, wants to set its own guidelines. The same problem that they were having here in Matthew 19 is a problem that we deal with today. We must know, what has God said? Jesus reminds him that God is the creator of marriage. The third lesson that he teaches is that marriage is a covenant. Let's go back to verse 4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. It's God that creates a covenantal marriage. I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Will you turn with me? Genesis chapter 2, this is the portion that Jesus is referencing. Genesis 2 verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and what does it say in your Bible? And what? What does it say in your Bible? A man shall leave his father and his mother and you got, what was that? Hold fast. If your Bible says hold fast, will you raise your hand? Okay, who has a King James Version? Does anybody have a King James Version? Nobody. We had some, one person in the first service. What, what, what did you say? I heard somebody say it. Cleave. Here's what the King James Version says. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That word, it's a Hebrew word, that literally means to be glued to something. I, I want you, if your spouse is sitting next to you, I want you to look at them and say, I'm stuck to you. All right, that's what it is. 
It is a covenant. That is the idea of what marriage that God created, a covenant means to be stuck, glued together. A covenant of what God created, it is permanent. Think about the common marriage vows. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. What's the last part? Till death do us part. That captures the essence of what a covenant is. It is permanent. Till death do us part. And the reality is that a marriage covenant is not just between the man and the wife, but is a covenant made with God. Look at what he, he teaches here at verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. God is active in this union. He is very much a part of it. He has joined them together. What God has joined together, let no man separate. See, a, a covenant marriage is not based on passions or feelings. Can you imagine if your marriage, the success, the success of your marriage was dependent on how you feel. How successful do you think that would be? Because there are days where your feelings are high. Can anybody relate to that? Man, you, you are crazy about your spouse. And then there are some days where you're like, I don't even know if I like this guy. I don't even know if I like this girl. But you know what? That's the good news is a biblical marriage is not based on how we feel but it is based on a covenant that we made to one another as a husband and a wife. It is permanent. And this is what Jesus is reminding them. See, the opposite of a covenant marriage or a covenant relationship is a consumer relationship. I want you to think about the way you interact with a vendor or with a business. Let me just give you a little testimony, close to my heart. You know, most more, more Sunday mornings, I'm, I'm leading worship, and I try to get here about 6 a.m. Last Sunday, I, w I was ready in my car about 5.50. I was like, I got 10 minutes. And it was just one of those mornings that I needed some coffee and a sausage biscuit from McDonald's. I don't know if you ever had those kind of mornings, but it, was, it like hit me. It was 10 till. I was like, I could do it. I could run a McDonald's and I could still be back in time. So I drive to the, 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 the line of McDonald's and I'm, I'm there where you order and it, it's complete silence. So after about 30 seconds, I said, hey, I, I'm ready when you are. And uh, the person on the other line says, all right, I'll be with you in a minute. It's like, this is a fast food, food, fast food place, but okay. I'm watching the clock, two minutes go by, three minutes go by. I'm like, what, what, come on McDonald's, like you're supposed to be the fastest. And so I say again, hey, I'm ready when you are, because I really wanted that coffee and sausage biscuit. And he said, 
I'll be with you in a few minutes. Four more minutes go by, and I just said, we'll be seeing you, okay? Guess what I do? I go to down the street, right? Because that is what a consumer relationship does. You do not keep your end of the deal. I'm looking for a better offer. You get a better price, a better opportunity, I'm going to switch it. That's how a consumer relationship takes place. The reality is, church, is that the majority of American culture views marriage as consumers. I give you this, you give me this in response. If you do not hold up your end of the deal, I'm out. I see something better. I think it might be a better situation over here. And what Jesus reminds them and reminds us today that it's a covenant. That a, a husband, a man leaves his father. He leaves his mother. He holds fast to his wife. They are no longer two separate entities, but they have become one. Man, a marriage is, is the, one of the most intimate things you will ever experience in your life. To be fully known by somebody that sees every part of you, that knows every side of you, Jesus reminds them that marriage is a covenant. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says this, wedding vows are not a declaration of present love, but a mutually binding promise of future love. The day where you were standing next to your soon-to-be spouse there at your wedding and you were saying your vows it wasn't just a, emotions what you were committing but rather a promise of future love the fourth teaching that Jesus gives to them in Matthew 19 is that divorce is ultimately a result of sin look at what he tells them let's look at verse 7 of chapter 19 they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. The reason that Moses allowed for you to give your wife a certificate of divorce, it was because of the hardness of your heart. You were not interested in following God's law, but you wanted to find a loophole in the system. The, the cer divorce certificate that they are speaking about, it was not a command that was given by God but rather, it was a concession that Moses gave to the people to keep peace in the society. And he reminds them, and the ultimate reason divorce occurs is it because of sin. Maybe it's the majority of one side, maybe it's mutual, but everybody has a stake in it. The next time you go to a wedding and you're dressed up, 
and you're listening to the pretty music in the background and you're seeing all the pretty dresses and all the pretty flowers, when you look at that, those cup, that couple, I want you to think to yourself, man, those are just two sinners. And they are coming together and she's bringing all her sin and her bad habits and he's bringing all of his sin and his bad habits and it's just this one giant stew of sinfulness that's what a marriage is and jesus he tells them what's at the root of it it's because of your heart the sinfulness of your heart and church it leads us to ask ourselves a question that is so important what are biblical grounds for divorce? This is a very debate, debated topic, but there are two traditional Protestant views regarding divorce and marriage. I just want to give you the two of them quickly. It's important to know that divorce is never ideal, although it is permitted, it is not encouraged because the aim is always reconciliation. But the first biblical ground for divorce and remarriage we see in the passage that we're looking at in verse 9 of chapter 19. Let's look at it together. I say to you, these are Jesus' words, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. This is the first biblical ground. What Jesus taught that sexual immorality, infidelity within the marriage constitutes biblical grounds for divorce. Jesus taught from this passage that divorce and remarriage without biblical grounds is adultery. That is basing it straight off of Matthew 19, verse 9. That is the first biblical ground that we see in the Bible. The second biblical ground that we find is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. I don't want to spend a lot of time because it's a whole different sermon, but it's a unique situation. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12 through 16. If an unbeliever wants to desert a believer because of their faith. The Christian in that relationship is called to seek peace in that situation if that's what their unbelieving spouse wants to do, to abandon them because of their faith. And in that situation, the Christian is free to divorce and to remarry. Now, church, I, I realize that there are numerous circumstances with every marriage and situation but in God's wisdom these are the two biblical grounds that we find in God's word and this is why these situations require so much wisdom this is why God has provided you with a church family 
If you find yourself in a difficult marriage, difficult situation to seek help within your church family, to seek wisdom and counsel from your, your pastors and elders to help you walk through decisions that you are wanting to make. But what Jesus is teaching is so clear is that sexual immorality, infidelity in a marriage can destroy the marriage. When you bring, you have this unity between a husband and wife and you bring a third party in, it corrupts, corrupts that unity. I could not help but wonder if in a room this size that there would be a man or a woman who has flirted with the idea of an affair. It would not surprise me if in a room this size there is someone here that is discouraged about their marriage. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's an old friend on a social media network and you have just been flirting with the idea. Would you see this morning God's word be a warning to you? And that that, would, that decision would have the ability to destroy what you have. It is such a serious thing. In the Old Testament, idolatry was punishable by stoning. Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. If a man is discovered having sexual relations with another man's wife, both the man who had sex with the woman and the woman must die. It was serious. Listen to God's word, church. Proverbs 6.32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Listen to how the Proverbs is speaking about the adulterous woman in Proverbs 7, verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Adultery is serious, has major consequences. The final lesson that I want to give you as we close, number five is marriage is a picture of the gospel. In Matthew 19, Jesus directs their attention to Genesis 2. And gives this picture of a husband and wife being joined together. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul repeats the same passage that Jesus referenced 
in Genesis 2. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And look at his comment. Look what he says. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is so much bigger than you and your spouse. It's so much bigger than how you feel and the romance that you feel. But the, the ultimate purpose of your marriage, the ultimate purpose of every marriage is to point to the Son of God who gave his life for the bride who is the church. Our Lord Jesus demonstrated unconditional love to his church he gave his life for a rebellious wife consider the church over the last 2,000 years and its failures and its mistakes and let's just consider our church family and you as an individual within this church your failures your mistakes your sins over and over and yet Jesus' love is unconditional for his bride. Aren't you glad? He will never leave his bride. Maybe you've seen marriages where people gave up on each other. The great news of the gospel is our, our king will never forsake his bride. And in the same way, church, a marriage that has experienced infidelity, infidelity and pain and in the same way that Christ demonstrated grace and forgiveness and mercy to us. A Christian marriage can display those same characteristics to one another. As Paul would say, the love of Christ controls us. Because, church, forgive in the same way that you have been forgiven. If, have, you been, have you been the recipient of grace? Then in your marriage, you display the same kind of grace. Are you the recipient of love? We display the same because every marriage is trying to picture the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. See, I, I imagine, we're closing. I imagine that, that there are some of you here that, that divorce is a part of your story. Maybe that is a situation that you find yourself in now, I imagine that there's some of you that may be shame and guilt and you're looking at failures of a past relationship and I want to remind you that Jesus is always forgiving and he is always faithful even when we are not faithful.
Divorce is in no way an unforgivable sin. But I want us to embrace the gospel and rejoice that Christ meets us where we're at. No, no matter what was in your past story, no matter what's in your present, Christ meets you where you are. And church, can we find comfort that the greatest marriage covenant is still intact? The covenant between Christ and his church. Let's rejoice that Jesus will never forsake his bride. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you that you first loved us and demonstrated grace and kindness that we did not deserve. Father, these are hard teachings, hard realities. I pray that you administer to your people, encourage your people today to see clearly. Lord, we want to, to remind ourselves of, of the gospel this morning. For those that are in Christ, that there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. We want to, as a church, we want to run to the cross to find grace and forgiveness, to repent of our sins. Lord, I pray you minister to your people this morning. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.